Praise the Lord. Those of us remaining, I'd like us to take out our Bibles. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of, starting in the book of Matthew, and then we're going to go over to the book of Acts. Uh, and today I was going to uh, preach that ninth message on uh, out of the Contending for the Faith series, but I want to share this this morning, and then next Sunday we'll be preaching uh, on the church and its mission. Uh, what it is that we're here for. <clears throat> what is it that Jesus designed for us to do? Uh, and so this, this message today will be a little bit of a precursor to hopefully kind of gear us up for that. And uh, I believe that we are here for a specific purpose. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, the fact that uh, as a church, we have a mission. Uh, the mission of this church is uh, to make Christ known. And that's on your bulletins right on the front. And uh, we see that very, very clearly and very plainly. And so I would encourage you to let's just take out our Bibles, open our hearts to the word of the Lord uh, even now. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 16 and starting at verse 18. It says these words. Jesus says this. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. One of the things that we have to remember is that the very words that Jesus spoke were words of life. They were words of peace. And yet at the same time, he says something so powerful and so important. He says that he will build the church, not anything that man can do. This is not man's building. This isn't a place where this is just a as somebody, one commentator put it, this is just a container. Uh, this is a container for the church. We call this building a church, but this is nothing more than a container. It holds the church. This is a local church. And obviously we know there is the church worldwide, the universal church all over the world where believers meet together and they come together and those believers are meeting together even now all across this country. There are others who are coming together to pray and to call upon the name of the Lord and reach out to the sick and minister to those who are hurting in life and those who have great struggles and troubles, that there is something there that is powerful, not because Peter or somebody else, Paul, or somebody in the, in the book of Acts, felt as though this is worth investing our life into, it is because of the statement that Jesus himself made. Notice, he didn't say, Peter, you are going to build the church. He says, you are Peter. That word Peter, the name Peter, means a little rock. And yet in all of that, Jesus said, and on this rock, I believe that at that moment he might have made a gesture to himself that is a bigger rock. I will build my church. I will build my church. 
Look, there are people who can try to destroy the church. People can even try to destroy this building. And yet, in the end, they'll never destroy the church because this church was not founded on a man. It wasn't founded on an individual, but it was founded on Jesus Christ. He said, I will build my church. I will be the one to make it happen. It's not going to be what any individual can do in and of himself, but it is what Jesus said he will do. I trust in that today. A lot of times we worry about what it is that we're doing as a body of believers, what we're not doing uh, as a church and what kind of programs we have, what kind of programs we don't have. And a lot of times we get a little bit worried about that, whether or not it's really meeting the needs of the congregation, meeting the needs of the people in the community and how it might be that it would, it would encourage others around us. And yet in the end, if we're not trusting in Jesus to do the work and to do the building, then we're missing the whole point. And furthermore, we're going against what Jesus has said in the gospel of Matthew when he said, I will build my church. I've been saying and said prior to last Sunday, I said everything that we do leading up to September the 12th is by faith. We have to approach it all by faith. It has to be that when we come together, we meet in the presence of the Lord by faith and knowing that no, no amount of, of, of work and effort will ever make a difference unless we approach it by faith. And we say, Lord, this is your work. This is what you're going to do. And we are going to trust in the fact that you said, I will build my church. We have to believe in him and we have to trust in him. I want you to go over to what seems like a pretty unrelated passage of scripture in Acts. The book of Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And I want us to go over there to where the Bible tells us about a man by the name of Saul. And we see what Saul did. Saul was a persecutor of the church. We read a couple of weeks ago on Tuesday night about Stephen and how Stephen uh, had been dragged outside the city and he had been uh, stoned to death. And the Bible tells us that there was a man there by the name of Saul, how Saul came and stood there and watched as Stephen gave up his life as that first martyr uh, for Christ. And Saul was one of those individuals who he was, he was absolutely passionate, very passionate, and so much so that he went to the synagogue rulers and he said, listen, give me letters to go to the synagogues in Damascus and I will begin to root out these Christians that are meeting there. I'll go there and I will, I will search them out and I will drag them off and take them to jail. They said, sure, we'll, give, we'll do that for you. We don't want this going any further than it's going right now. And we know the story and I've related this last Sunday a little bit in the message about how Saul is on his way to Damascus and there a bright light shines from heaven. And in that moment, Saul realizes as he is confronted with Jesus himself, the son of the living God, as he is confronted with him and, and, and Jesus speaks to him and Saul responds and, and now repents of his sin and, and moves away from what it is that he was doing, goes and stays in a house there for three days until a man by the name of Ananias comes and prays for him. And the Bible says that in that moment he was filled with the Holy Spirit and 
and, and the blindness was gone and he was healed of that. But then the, the, the wonderful thing about Saul is, and this is a message in the making, is he didn't just sit there and do nothing. He began to talk to people. He began to witness to people. And the Bible lets us know that he went into the synagogues and he went into the different places that were around it. He began to talk to people about what Jesus Christ had done for him and what Jesus had come to do for everyone on the earth. And so as Jesus or as Paul goes or Saul goes to the synagogues, the Bible says this. Let's pick up reading at verse 26. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, that is Saul, he tried to join the disciples. And I want you to notice this. And they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. They said, okay, we understand people can lie about this stuff. Now, the disciples were probably being wise at that moment. And they were just sort of, you know, it's, it's, we, we talk about the right hand of fellowship. He was getting the, you know, the stiff arm of fellowship. <laughs> it was kind of like the Walter Payton. You know, you remember how Walter used to run? He used to run through, he'd stick that arm out. Nobody could break that arm. I mean, he'd stick it out there. You couldn't get close to him as he'd run down the field. Well, that's sort of what they were doing to Paul or Saul at that point. That's what they were doing to him. And so the Bible goes on and it says this, verse 27. But Barnabas took him... And brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul was on his journey, had uh, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews. But they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Let me just stop right here for a moment. And let's just talk about this just for a minute. Remember how Jesus said he was going to build his church. Saul goes into the synagogues and he goes and he begins to talk to some of the Grecian Jews that were there. And he, he disputes with them. He argues with them and talks with them about who Jesus was and what Jesus came to do, that Jesus didn't come into the world just to do his own thing. He didn't come to establish a religion. He came to change lives. He came to forgive people of sin. He came to bring them to a place of repentance where they could have a relationship with the Father. He came in that moment to bring them to a place where they needed to recognize he loved them more than anybody in the world. So now Paul is talking to them, or it's before he'd been known as, I call him Paul, he's still Saul at this point. All of a sudden in this moment, they realize there is a great outcry and there's a stir over what Saul is doing. He's talking to them, but now they want to kill him. And so immediately the Bible says that the brothers go down and they take him down to uh, uh, down to Caesarea, it's about 65 miles from Jerusalem, takes and put him, puts him on a boat and says, now go off to Tarsus. So he goes off to Tarsus and as he is gone, the Bible says this, that shortly after that, listen to what it says in verse 31. 
Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria, enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. It was strengthened. Now, I want you to see this. They take and ship him away. He's gone. And now he goes to the place where he is supposed to go. Saul is gone for a while. And all of a sudden, the outcry dies down. Now there's no more trouble. And now the Bible says that there was a time of peace. The Bible says, and Paul later wrote in one of his epistles, to make the most of every opportunity. This was an opportunity that God was giving to the apostles at that moment. All throughout the land of Palestine, throughout Judea, there was a time of peace for the believers. And the Bible lets us know that in that time, God began to take over and do some things. And as God took over and did some things, the apostles reached out to the Lord and they were encouraged. And as this time of peace came... And remember, it is a time, that is, it's not going to last forever, but there are going to be times where there will be, the, there will be moments of peace in our lives, and those are the times where God desires to strengthen and encourage us in Him so that we can work for Him. I realize in this country we have had wonderful blessings. It has not been like that around the world. In fact, at the end of the month, Christy has made it her ministry to get a group of people together to pray for those who live in countries who are persecuted for their faith, where their faith is, is rejected. And as they are persecuted for their faith, they, are, they find that, that throughout all of the things that they do and that they are going through, that they still stand their ground. And we pray for them and believe that God will bring a time of peace, that they might be strengthened, that they might be encouraged. But I believe with all of my heart that what God wants us to understand today is that the times of peace we experience as believers and experience in this country, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives in such a way that it will encourage us, strengthen us, and help us to serve Him in a way that will honor His wonderful and mighty name. Brothers and sisters, there was this time of peace that came about. And that time of peace was for a specific purpose and for a specific season. This time of peace that took place in this moment brought about a more change to the church as we see in the end of this verse. The Bible says this. It says, and they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers living in the fear of the Lord. Notice that. It grew in numbers. All throughout the book of Acts, or at least in the first part of the book of Acts, you will find that believers are added to the church almost on a daily basis. Once again, it is that it grew in numbers. And I recognize that as a church, we can kind of get into a lull and we can say, you know, we kind of like this this, you know, this little church that we have. It's thank God for it. We we thank God for the miracle that brought us here and all of those things. And we can say, well, you know what? Things are fine the way they are. Listen, brothers and sisters, as long as there are people who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, 
as long as there are people who are bound for hell, I'm here to let you know this isn't fine. No, we need to enjoy it. We need to be happy. Absolutely. But in the end, when it all comes down to it, the Bible lets us know that we have been called to do something great for the kingdom. Jesus said, I will build my church. The question is, are we going to be willing to stand up and be counted and say, Lord, we're going to come along with you and we're going to help you to build. The Bible says here in this verse 31 that they were strengthened. The church was strengthened. It wasn't just one or two people. The entire church was strengthened. I don't know about you, but over the last few weeks, we have been strengthened. As a church, we have been sensing the strength of the Lord. His strength in our lives, not only as individuals, but also collectively as a body, we have begun to sense the strength that there is in the power of God as God has brought about a change and He's bringing about a change. He wants to do something great and something mighty in this body of believers. And that's what we're leading up to in this coming weekend, that we're going to rededicate our lives as believers and as the church to doing what God wants us to do. Listen. I believe with all my heart that God has set you aside for a purpose. I realize that life this past month may not have been fair. I realize that life over the last week might have been difficult. But in the end, brothers and sisters, what we have to do is we have to stand and say, Lord, we are going to be blessed and we're going to be counted with you. We are going to stand with you and we're going to do the mighty work that you have called us to do. To reach out to a lost and a dying world. The church was strengthened for a reason. It was strengthened so that they could work for him. Brothers and sisters, these times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord isn't so that you and I can walk out of here and say, Woo, I felt goosebumps. Woo, I feel good. I'm glad you might feel good. <laughs> Great. I'm so happy that you feel good. But in the end, your feeling good needs to translate into a life that is a witness, a life that carries a testimony. Do you know that nobody can tell it like you can? Nobody can tell what God has done for you quite like you can. And what God has called us to do is he has called us to be a witness to a lost and a dying world. This is why he is strengthening us. The city of Chicago is full of people who need to know the love of Christ. That Jesus didn't come for some political movement. That Jesus didn't come for some, some kind of a program to, you know, to better ourselves and to make us feel better about ourselves. He didn't come for all of that. He came to die for our sins. He came to bring hope to a hopeless and a lost world. He came to change you, to make you what he wants you to be. Not what I want you to be, what everybody else around you thinks you ought to be, but what God wants you to be. That's what he came to do and to accomplish. But this, the, the apostles, as, as Saul went away, now Saul's going to come back, and, and God's going to change his name. He's going to be known as Paul. And Paul is going to, to help to strengthen the church even more. We might look at that and say, well, well, we're glad that Saul got saved, but it seems like he was a hindrance. He wasn't a hindrance. It's just God had something he had to accomplish in that moment, and it was without Saul. Remember, Saul testifies about the fact that during the, uh, there was a period of time where he went away into the Arabian desert for, for years. 
for the space of three years. He says, I talked to nobody. He said, I went into the presence of Almighty God. I got alone with God. Oh, he's going to come back and the world is going to be turned upside down as a result of it. But God had something else that he wanted to do in this moment. It wasn't, it wasn't his time to work in the kingdom of God just yet. It was the time for God to do something in that land and the apostles. And we're about to, you, we've already talked about what took place in Acts chapter 10 and how Peter goes and preaches the gospel to the Gentiles and, and people in Cornelius's house, they get saved and, and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. And there is a change that takes place. And all of that came as a result of prayer. And as that took place, God was doing something great. But this is prior to that time. God had more strengthening that he had to do. But the Bible also says that not only was the church strengthened, but it was encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Now, you can feel strengthened to do something, but there are times where there might be a little bit of fear to actually do it. You know, you can feel like you can accomplish something, but maybe you might be the kind of an individual who is slightly timid. And maybe you just don't want to move forward. You know, it's like, it's like the kid on the sidelines of, of, of a football game who does not yet know he's good. He just doesn't know it yet. He goes out on the field, he gets the football, maybe he's a running back, he gets the football, and he can run faster than anybody out there. But he doesn't quite know it yet. And he's a little shy and he's a little afraid because he looks out on the field and he sees guys out there who are twice his size. And he thinks to himself, I'm not so sure I want those dudes landing on me. How in the world am I going to make it? But he's standing there and the coach comes up and says, all right, man, we got that running play. I need you in there. And he kind of stands there and he stands there and the coach says, no, you come on. You can do it. You can make it. You can run that ball, and you can run that ball faster than anybody out there. You get out there, and maybe gives him a little shove, a little pat to say, come on, you get out on that field. You go make a difference. Brothers and sisters, there are times where the church is strengthened to do things, but we just sit by and we don't do much about it. But the Bible lets us know that not only were they strengthened, they were encouraged. That is, that they were encouraged to, to not sit by, but to move out and to begin to do things for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, we all have something to bring to the table in the presence of Almighty God and in the, in the church and in, in God building this church. But in the end, if we're not encouraged to move out, how in the world are we going to allow that strength to really work for the kingdom? We've got to be encouraged to, to, to get out there. Say, well, I, you know, it's not my ministry to go out on Tuesday. Lynette needs more people on Tuesday nights. Maybe you can't make it. Or maybe you think you can't make it. That is a big difference, isn't there? Needs more people to go out there on the streets on Tuesday night just to, to extend the love of Christ. Look, we're not out there beating people over the head with the Bible. You know, it, it's not about that. It's about connecting to somebody and, and beginning to, to start a relationship. It was an interesting thing. Lynette was out with my wife one Tuesday night, and they met somebody who was, who was a little cantankerous, a little confrontational. But challenged them both. 
You know, what, what are you doing for the community? What are you doing out here? And Lynette began to talk. They began to talk to him and said, well, look, we're out here spreading the love of Christ. We're out here spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're doing what God has called us to do. And they were out handing out flyers last, not this past Saturday, the Saturday before that, before on September 11th. They were out there and she, she I get a text for her and it says, tell Mariella, I saw this guy again and he was so nice. You see, it takes building relationships. The first time, he wanted to dig a little bit. The second time around, he recognized, okay, they're not going away. They mean business. Brothers and sisters, we, we got to get out there. We've got to be encouraged to move out and to begin to let God use us. Look, you've got a testimony that you can only you can tell. And I believe with all my heart that God can use that testimony to challenge somebody to come to a place where they realize they need Jesus Christ. The Bible says these words in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. It says that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. What it is they had to say. Say, well, pastor, I can't preach a sermon. That's all right. I've always been convinced I can't do very well either. (laughs) After 22 years of preaching, I'm still trying to find better ways. But I got to tell you that I believe with all of my heart that there is nothing quite so effective as when you begin to tell somebody what Jesus Christ did for you, what it was that took place in your heart and how he changed your life. Listen, you say, well, you know, he hasn't blessed me with the fine house and the fine car. That's all right. That's not what it's all about in the end. In the end, it is where are you going to spend eternity? And the Bible says that he came to give everlasting life life everlasting life we've got to get out there and share that with people say well do i have to wait for a church sanctioned function oh by all means if you're waiting for a church sanctioned function i didn't quite say that right i got the ed in the wrong place but anyway if you're waiting for the church to say we're going to have this outreach and that outreach look our lives ought to be an outreach The very life that we live ought to be an outreach. Look, the the world is doing that. The enemy is doing that. The devil is using people to reach out and try to grab as many people with his, his terrible, terrible squeezing kind of grip that he possibly can. Brothers and sisters, what are we doing to reach out to those who are around us? God has to help us. I realize there might be people around who they don't go to church or maybe they go to church, and, but they're not spiritually growing. They come to you and they say, well, I'm looking for a church. I'm not quite growing. Look, if you, they come to you looking for a church, then you by all means invite them. Bring them here. Let them come. Let them, let them feel the presence of the Lord, sense the presence of the Lord. But you know what? There are too many lost people out there in the world that don't know Christ as their Savior and don't know how much he loves them how much he gave for them. They don't know it yet that our very lives ought to be an outreach. Don't wait for this church to say, well, we're going to have this this month, this next month, and we're going to build up to that. Wonderful. We we had a wonderful time last Sunday. That That encouraged my socks off. It was so great. It was just great. But in the end, that's done. We're not redoing it. Maybe next year. Back to church Sunday again. It's an annual thing. Ought to be like every Sunday or something. I don't know. We'll just do it every Sunday, right? It's back to church Sunday. 
But you know what? That's past. What are we now doing? We have to be a living epistle, as Paul said, known and read by all men. We need to be encouraged to preach the gospel and deliver the message of the word to people. The Bible says that they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It is so absolutely essential that we understand that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. This isn't just some set of rules and regulations. It isn't just, you know, let me, let me open up to the Bible and see what the Bible has to say. And, you know, whatever it says, I'll do it. But, you know, the Holy Spirit wants to commune with you too. He's not going to violate the Word. He's not going to go against what is in the Word. But instead, He's going to help us to grow in the Word and help us to know that as we are encouraged to do things, He can motivate us and move us to do what God wants us to do. There was one final thing that took place. They were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Here's where it is. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. I want you to notice it's really two things, but they kind of go hand in hand with one another. With one another. The Bible says it grew in numbers. Now, you said, Pastor, are you all about that? Are you all about the numbers? No, I'm not. In the end, I'm not. But you know what? When you mature and you grow in the Lord, there ought to be a great desire in your heart as a believer to see other people come. And when we do the math and we realize that I'm one person, but if I bring somebody along with me and they give their life to Christ, one plus one still equals two. So we have grown in numbers. What God has called us to do, brothers and sisters, is not, not build this church up to be, be you know, this, this church where, wow, they, you know, they're so packed, they're going to have two services or whatever the case might be. Listen, look, if it happens that way, it happens that way. But we need to always be adding. Always. God has to help us in this. The Bible says that in the book of Acts that they grew in numbers. The church grew in numbers. Yes, they grew in the Lord. And that's how we, you know, we sometimes console ourselves when, when we don't have new people coming in or we don't, you know, we give an altar call and nobody comes up. Well, I've grown in the Lord. Well, I'm glad we're growing in the Lord. We ought to be growing in the Lord. That's part of the ministry and the mission of the church to help believers grow. But the Bible also lets us know that we ought to grow in numbers. There are people who are around you that need to know Christ. Let's, let's get out there and lead them to Jesus Christ and let them know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no man comes to the Father but through me. And if you think he's lying about it, you take that up with him. He's the one who said it. They grew in numbers, but I want you to notice this final, this last, last thing. It's really connected that when they grew in numbers, the Bible says that they lived in the fear of the Lord. They lived in, the, in other words, it wasn't, it wasn't this, this terror, like I'm, I'm really afraid of God, although that's not an unhealthy thing to have in your life. I think sometimes we're too flippant with God. But in the end, what it is, this fear is, it is a reverence. A reverence. That is that you give honor 
to the Lord. You give honor to him regardless of what's going on in your life and regardless of what's taking place. The Bible says that they grew in numbers and they lived in the fear of the Lord. The Lord was number one in their thinking, number one in their minds, number one in their hearts. And as he began to consume their hearts, they realized God is somebody to be reverenced. He is somebody that I need to honor with every part of my life. Look, brothers and sisters, this is how Jesus was building the church. We read that first part in Matthew where he says, I will build my church because when we come over here in the book of Acts, as you read through the book of Acts, you see Jesus doing it. You see him actually doing the work. You see him building the church of Jesus Christ. And do you know who he's using? Those apostles that he had called, those people who came to Christ, he was using anybody and everybody who came to him and said, I repent of my sin, I want to live for Christ. He began to use them. Do you know that when you came to Christ, it's not just somebody standing in the pulpit who's got to make a difference. It is everybody. It's, it's all of us. He wants to use you to help build his church. I don't know about you, but I want to help. Look, the building is not the church. We, we sometimes refer to this as the sanctuary. When we come into this particular room or this area, this is a sanctuary. But this is not, this is a church building. And, and like I said, it's, somebody, it's basically called a church because it houses the church. It's a container for the church. It's where we meet together. The church comes together. And brothers and sisters, God has called us to be men and women who will stand and say, Lord, I'm going to help you. I'm going to stand alongside of you. You can use me, Lord. If there is anything in my life, Lord, that, that is in the way and hindering what it is that you want me to participate in, in building the church, Lord, then take it out. Remove it. Because I want to see people one to Jesus. I want to see souls saved for the kingdom. Not so that I can put another notch in my belt. Listen, that's gone long ago, long ago. I don't worry about that stuff. What we are concerned about is as many people being on their way to heaven as possibly can be. And whatever it is that we can do, may we be strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. Whatever time of peace you have in your life, it is so that you can aid and help in the kingdom of God growing. You say, my life is pretty turbulent right now. That's all right. God can use that too. And all through the book of Acts, we see that happening too. So it's not just the peaceful times and it's not just the, the, the times that are in turmoil that God uses. God uses it all. Regardless of the situation, He will use you for His glory. Can we stand to our feet this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want us to give God praise right now on every head bowed and every eye closed.